One of the, the most important aspects of, of any healthy relationship is trust. We just naturally want the people in our lives to be trustworthy. We all want a friend we can rely on, we can depend on, someone that we can really trust. But if you're honest, how many people in your life can you say that you trust with 100% confidence? How many people are trustworthy enough for you to be honest with and, and let them in to see the real you? To take a risk and to share your, your deepest pains and your most shameful regrets? How many people would you entrust with your very life? As we all know, trust is hard to earn and easy to lose. And while I'm sure we all have many people in our lives that we, we enjoy spending time with, I would imagine that for most of us, that list of 100% trustworthy people is rather low. Well, the, the ancient document that's known as the gospel according to Luke, it was, it was written to show us how a particular man who lived thousands of years ago is completely worthy of our trust because he is 100% trustworthy in his proven character. That's a big claim. How does Luke back that up? Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that in Luke chapter 1, at the very beginning of this book, Luke showed us his purpose in writing this. Luke wasn't born a Christian. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Greek with, with really no exposure to the Bible. He was an intelligent man. He was educated. He was a, a physician, a medical doctor. And he had heard about a man named Jesus. He entrusted his very life to Jesus. And then everything changed for Luke. So now he's writing to Theophilus, some kind of a Roman official who wants to know more details about this Jesus that he's been hearing about. So Luke wrote an orderly account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus so that he might have certainty, confidence. Luke is trying to show Theophilus, and he's trying to show us why Jesus is worthy of our complete and certain trust. So let's look at Luke chapter 5 and see what he wants to show us here in just two amazing accounts. What makes Jesus so trustworthy? Let's see in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 26, and these are the very words of God. While he, that is Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. <coughs> and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. 
but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have come here this morning for one purpose. We have gathered as your people around your word to see more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without your spirit illuminating the eyes of our hearts, we are blind to your glory. So please open our eyes by your spirit that we may know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe. And help us to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that's beyond knowledge. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever praised. Amen. In this chapter, I think Luke wants us to see from these two narratives that Jesus is worthy of our trust because of the intensity of his love and power. It's simple. Jesus is utterly worthy of our trust because of the intensity of his love and power. So if you're here and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, maybe you're, you're skeptical, maybe you're curious, maybe you've even been hurt by religion in the past, these words were written for you. Luke wrote these words to Theophilus, a man who wasn't sure but wanted to make sure about who Jesus is. So you might be wrestling through some questions. I've heard about Jesus. Can I really trust him? Is, is he trustworthy enough for me to give him my life? Can I entrust him with my deepest hopes and my darkest fears? Can I trust him? And for those of us who are Christians, those of us who, who are trusting in Jesus, we still have to wrestle through this, don't we? Can I trust him with a terminal diagnosis? Can I trust him with my broken relationships? 
Can I trust him when my retirement accounts dry up? Can I trust him with years of infertility? Can I trust him when I sing joy to the world while, while going through crippling depression? Can I trust him when my loved one takes their life or with the uncertainty of the future or, or when my life completely falls apart, can I trust him? Every one of us, believer or skeptic, needs to be reminded and to hear Luke's message that Jesus is worthy of our trust because of the intensity of his love and power. And we, we see this as we compare these two stories in our text side by side, as we, as we look at them together and see a beautiful composite portrait of Jesus. So let's look together and see the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Because in both of these stories, to start off, we see the love of Jesus on full display. In this first narrative, we see Jesus' interaction with a leper. Look at verse 12. While he, that is Jesus, was in one of the cities there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In the first century, a man in this condition would have been seen as both untouchable and unlovable. He has leprosy, so no one can come close to him. He's socially isolated. He's, he's completely alone in his suffering and misery. But this poor man, this poor soul had, had heard about Jesus, a man who was working miracles. So he, he came to him, he fell on his face, and he begged him for healing and cleansing. And notice how he words his request. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knows Jesus can do it. He has no doubt about Jesus' ability. He's just not sure if Jesus is willing to do it. Haven't you felt that way? You know Jesus can help your situation, but you're just not sure if he actually wants to. Let Jesus' response encourage you because he speaks to this man with amazing, tender love. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Oh, that phrase, I will, it is so important. It means to want or to desire. The leper asked if Jesus wanted to cleanse him. If he desired to, if he was willing. And Jesus says, absolutely. I want to. Your full restoration is my deepest desire. I'm more than willing. This is great. Jesus wore his heart on his sleeve. No one had to twist his arm to get him to show compassion. He didn't need to be convinced. This request didn't need further justification. This man didn't need to beg. This was the immediate response of the Savior's love. 
And just think about the fact that Jesus touched him. This was probably the first physical contact that this leper had had with another human being in a painfully long time. No one touched lepers. They were untouchable. I mean, try to put yourself into his experience when I read these words from Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 through 46. Imagine this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Can you imagine what that man was going through? I mean, think about the social distancing of the last few years. Did you like that? I didn't. Did you enjoy being separated from friends and family? Not being able to visit people in the hospital, having to keep your distance from those you love? This man's experience was far worse. He was 100% socially isolated. He was completely untouchable, but Jesus touched him. Think about what that man must have been feeling in that moment. He knew in that moment, he knew that he was deeply loved because of the touch of Jesus. The Savior, he he touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable and redeemed the irredeemable out of the deepest desire of his heart. That's who he is. So if Jesus feels distant to you, If it feels like he isn't helping or he isn't willing or he doesn't care, those feelings are not to be trusted. You should doubt your doubts. Jesus is worthy of our trust, not our emotions. And his love is overflowing, it's abundant, it's extravagant, it's sacrificial. And this is what we celebrate during Advent. During Advent, during Christmas, these are the times where we get to celebrate the reality that Jesus doesn't keep his distance from us. In pity, he moves towards us. He draws near. That's who he is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And why did he come? Why was he born? Because he wanted to. Because he's willing, because he loves us. Jesus humbled himself to become one of us, to enter into the brokenness of our human condition out of his willingness, out of his desire to save. So you can trust him. That's story number one. Let's look at story number two. Look at verse 17. On one of those days, As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." 
And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. It's quite the story. People tearing the roof off to get to Jesus. Why were they so desperate? Why this need? Because their friend was paralyzed and Jesus was his only hope. There's a beautiful prayer in the the Book of Common Prayer that says, Lord, we thank you for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Can you pray that? Can you thank God for the disappointments in your life? I mean, can you really thank him for the failures in your life? Now, this man was paralyzed. I I think calling that a disappointment is a huge understatement. But that deep, deep disappointment of his disability, what did it do? It drove him to Jesus. He realized his desperate need and his utter dependence. So he came to Jesus. And when the the stress and the pressures of life build up, you're going to turn to something or someone for refuge. You will. You're going to turn somewhere to find comfort, to find security, to find hope. So imagine you're in this man's position. Day after day, year after year, you've been lying helpless in a bed. You can't take care of yourself. You can't provide for yourself. You can't defend yourself. You are helpless and hopeless. Where would you turn to for refuge? Would you look to modern medicine as your only hope? Would you turn to drugs or alcohol to numb the disappointment? Would you take refuge in the escapism of TV and the internet and social media? Would you find comfort in overspending or oversleeping or overeating? Where would you go to cope with the painful realities of life? Where do you go? This man and his friends, they knew that those were all false places of refuge. So in utter desperation, they turned to the only source of true hope and refuge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus respond to their act of faith? They're tearing off the roof to get to him. He responded with utterly extravagant love. And did you notice? Jesus is so fast at showing compassion that they don't even get a chance to make a request. They don't ask him for anything. He just swoops in and says, your sins are forgiven you. His compassion, it's swift. It is quick. It's immediate. This is the speed of his grace. And Jesus, he is full to the brim 
You see it all throughout the Gospels. He is full to the brim with love and mercy and grace and kindness, and it just overflows and spills out into the lives of everyone he meets. So Jesus forgives this man, and then he follows it up by healing this man. Jesus knew that he had two problems. He was bedridden, and he was guilt-ridden. And the Savior solved both problems. His love is generous, it's lavish, it's abundant, it's over the top. Jesus is more willing to give than we are to ask. He is more happy to receive us than we are to come to him. He really is worthy of our trust because of the intensity of his love. And I chose that word intensity for a reason. Because in in these passages, in these stories, we don't just see the Savior's love. We see the intensity of his love, don't we? No one has ever loved like Jesus. No one even comes close. So in all your hopes and fears and failures and questions and doubts and anxieties and insecurities and sorrows, Jesus remains completely and utterly trustworthy. And this Jesus, who loved the leper and who loved the paralytic, is the very same Jesus who loves you. But think for a moment about this. What if this man, what if this paralytic had only been forgiven and not healed. I mean, it's pretty clear they were coming there for his healing. And Jesus immediately forgives him. So what would have happened if he had been forgiven and not healed? And what if Jesus gives you forgiveness but doesn't change your circumstances? Now, don't get me wrong, we should... We should pray for that, and sometimes he does, even with with healing, right? Jesus still heals. We should pray for physical healing, right? James chapter 5 says to call the elders of the church to come in and pray for you if you're sick. That's great. But what if that healing doesn't come? What if the circumstances of your life, whatever they are, don't change? In 1862, at age 20, George Matheson was a young pastor. He was engaged to be married, and then he began to lose his eyesight. When his fiance found out that he was going blind, she left him. She cut off the engagement. Now, in God's kindness, George's sister promised to take care of him, and she did that faithfully for 20 years. But then his sister fell in love, and and she was engaged to be married, and she could no longer be his caretaker. And on the night before his sister's wedding, at age 40, completely blind, George sat down to just think through and contemplate this fresh loss. What was going through his mind? 
A sense of abandonment by his sister, his caregiver. A sense of guilt for not being thankful for the 20 years she had served him. The painful loss of his own marriage that that never materialized. Just the, the acute loneliness and the uncertainty of the future. The healing for his blindness that never came. Well, in that moment, on the, on the night before his sister's wedding, we, we know what he was thinking. Because he wrote on that night the now famous hymn, O love that will not let me go. That's what was going through his mind in that moment. The love of Christ is what sustained him. Even in the midst of blindness and loneliness and devastation, he knew that in Jesus there was a love that would never let him go. And how did he know that? How was he sure? If you know the hymn, the other verses clue us in. He says, oh, joy that seekest me through pain. There was a joy that was seeking him. He said, I trace the rainbow through the rain in his blindness. And I know the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. He was tracing the rainbow of God's promises through the rain of his painful circumstances. And the final verse, O cross, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. He saw the cross. When his head was was hanging low in grief and in suffering, it was the cross that lifted up his head. He didn't evaluate the love of God by his own sufferings, though he had many. He evaluated the love of God by Christ's suffering on his behalf. God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your trust because of the intensity of his love. A love that will never let you go. And you can also trust him because of the intensity of his power. That's what we'll see next as we look at the power of Jesus. And this is so important because we need a Savior who is both loving and powerful. Parents, have you ever had times where your child is sick or they're hurt and you are totally powerless to do anything about it? It's awful. You love your child so deeply, but you are completely unable to help them. And Luke is here to show us that Jesus doesn't have that problem. He is full of love for us, and he is full of power towards us. Jesus is both willing and able to help. As the Puritan Thomas Watson said, weak faith can cling to a strong Christ. So let's revisit story number one. Looking for the intensity of Jesus' power. Back with the leper, verse 13. And Jesus stressed out his hand. And touched him, saying, I will be clean. (laughs) And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. 
It's important to know that when the Bible speaks about leprosy, it is not necessarily describing what we think of as leprosy today as Hansen's disease. So a leper in the Bible may have, but probably wasn't, having limbs fall off and terrible nerve damage and life-threatening infections. In Leviticus 13 and 14, leprosy was defined as any kind of skin disease whatsoever. So yes, it could have been Hansen's disease, or it could have just been hives or eczema. The emphasis wasn't on the severity of the physical illness, but on the severity of the ritual uncleanness. We have to kind of get our heads back into the Old Testament for this, that God is the God of life. And so anything that's related to death cannot come into his holy presence. So under the, un, the Old Covenant, nothing that was ritually unclean, including those with skin diseases, could come into God's presence in the tabernacle or in the temple. And that ritual uncleanness was spiritually contagious. If someone touched an unclean leper, they themselves would become unclean. It would spread. So this man may or may not have been suffering physically from his leprosy, but we know for sure that he was suffering spiritually and relationally. He was cut off from the presence of God and from the worship of God and from the people of God. Cut off. So again, Jesus' touch is a really big deal. Jesus could have simply spoken the word and the man could have been cleansed. We've seen him do that. But he chose to touch him. And that touch demonstrates his love, as we saw earlier, but it also displays his amazing power because everyone knew if you touched a leper, you became unclean. But when Jesus touched a leper, the leper became clean. For everyone else, uncleanness was contagious. But for Jesus, he is the holy son of God and his perfect holiness is contagious. It spreads. He is so powerful that his very touch cleanses the unclean. It purifies the impure. It takes what is unholy and transforms it into holiness. No one could do this except God himself. That's why Jesus told the man, go and show yourself to the priests. Follow Moses' instructions. Because the law shows us that we're unclean. It has no power to cleanse us. But if Jesus has touched you, you've been made clean. When you are redeemed by Jesus, his holiness is transferred to you. So no matter how dirty you feel, if Jesus says you're clean, he means it. You're clean. And your weak faith, no matter how weak it is, can cling to this strong Christ. This is the intensity of Jesus' power. And we see it as well. That same intensity in story number two, Let's revisit the paralytic. He's, he's just been lowered through the roof by his friends. And then this happens. Verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is the very first time we, we meet the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law here in Luke's gospel. They've come from all over, even from kind of the, the home base there in Jerusalem, to check out this Jesus that everyone's been talking about. He's making a big stir. And of course, they immediately have a problem. Jesus just said something really scandalous. He just did something that only God can do. He forgave this man's sins. Now, don't get it wrong. The Pharisees were correct here. They're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. But it's possible to be right and still miss the point. Yes, only God can forgive sins. Right? Just, right. <laughs> only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is the sin-forgiving God come in the flesh. So Jesus, the God-man, perceives their thoughts. I don't think we can do that. He divinely perceives their thoughts, and he responds with a very brilliant question. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier? Well, technically, anyone could just say the words, your sins are forgiven. But where's the proof? How do we know what actually happened? It's a spiritual reality. But you can't just go up to a man who's paralyzed and say, get up and walk. It has to happen. It has to happen. He has to actually walk. So in that sense, it's, it's easier to just say your sins are forgiven. But what the Pharisees don't know is that for Jesus to be able to pronounce the words, your sins are forgiven, he will have to give up his very life. He will have to go through more excruciating agony than our minds can even begin to comprehend. He will have to bear the curse. He will have to endure the suffering. He will have to pay the debt for our sins in his own body on the tree. So which is easier? Jesus doesn't solve the riddle for the Pharisees. He lets us sit. But he does solve the paralytic's problem. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Like we've already seen, Jesus forgave him and Jesus healed him. He did both. Did you notice? Jesus healed him as public evidence that the forgiveness was real. If the man is really healed, then the man is really forgiven. That's the logic. So the point of this story really isn't the healing. 
Luke's emphasis is on forgiveness. Many people need to be healed, but everyone needs to be forgiven. Sickness and disease and injury, those are real problems. But the most serious problem in all of our lives is sin. And Jesus cares about all suffering. He will bring it to an end one day. But he cares especially about eternal suffering. So the greatest need that we have is not healing. It's forgiveness. And in this healing, Jesus proved publicly and permanently and powerfully that he can actually provide forgiveness fully, freely, and forever. The Son of Man, as Jesus says, the Son of Man really does have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Now that's just amazing. When Jesus uses that phrase, the Son of Man, which is his favorite title for himself, he is intentionally identifying himself as the royal figure from Daniel chapter 7 who ascends on a cloud up to Yahweh and is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that will never pass away. And what does Jesus do with his kingly authority? He goes to the rebels and the criminals and the lawbreakers and extends to them a royal pardon. That's the character of our king. That's the kind of king he is. The son of man has all authority in heaven and on earth to forgive your sins. Do you see the intensity of his power? Who else has been given authority to forgive you? Who else can give peace to your troubled conscience? Who else can set you free from from guilt and shame and regret? Who else can make you clean in the eyes of God? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And like, like the leper and like the paralytic, we are completely helpless to redeem ourselves. They could do nothing We can do nothing, which is exactly why we need Jesus to take the initiative and come and redeem us himself. Before Jesus, this man was helpless and hopeless in both body and soul. But after Jesus, he's healed, whole, forgiven, restored, redeemed, beloved by God. So, I ask again. Can you trust him? The scribes and Pharisees trusted in themselves, as we'll see time and time again. But the leper and the paralytic and the friends trusted Jesus. Let's see how the other people who were, who were there in person responded to this. Back to the leper. Even though Jesus told him to tell no one, here's what happened. Verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In response to this miraculous cleansing, crowds flocked to him. So many people came that he had to retreat and get away just to go pray. Get alone. They saw the trustworthy love and power of Jesus and they came to him. And in verse 26, we see the reaction of those 
who witnessed the paralyzed man healed and forgiven. Verse 26. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. They were blown away. They were awestruck. They glorified God. They saw the trustworthiness of Jesus. So this morning, whether you're a believer, whether you're a skeptic, has Luke convinced you that Jesus is 100% trustworthy? Have you felt the intensity of his love for you? Have you seen the intensity of his power towards you? Will you trust him and keep on trusting him? I recently heard a missionary describe trusting in Jesus like this. He said, run to Christ. And if you can't run, walk to Christ. And if you can't walk, crawl to Christ. If you can't even crawl, fall upon Christ. And he will catch you. He will catch you and he will never fail you. He will never disappoint you. Even in your deepest pains, in your stressful circumstances, in your broken relationships, in your disorienting doubts, in your shameful regrets, even in your darkest moments, Jesus remains completely trustworthy. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So trust him. Rely on him. Depend on him. Bank your life on him. Your weak faith can cling to a strong and loving Christ. So to my fellow sinners and sufferers, Jesus is worthy of your trust because of the intensity of his love and power for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus. We would be doomed on our own. So we thank you for sending your son to be the savior of the world. Lord, I pray if there are are people in this room, people over the live stream who don't know you, Lord, I pray that even now you would bring them to put their trust in Christ. I pray for those of us whom you have already redeemed, strengthen our trust. Increase our faith. We believe. Help our unbelief. I pray that you would sink it deeper into our hearts. That you love us. And in your power, you have done everything to save us. So lead us now in joyful worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the glory of your great name. Amen.